0: Sam,
1: you got any robotic dialogue?
0: (laughs) That was an excellent observation.
2: (laughs) This podcast contains
0: explicit language. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back to The Thundercast. My name is Christian.
2: I'm Liam, Uh, here with another podcast that just talks about movies. And joining us today is uh, Sam Roberts, new friend of the show. That's right. Howdy, howdy.
1: It's funny, I had just given Liam a breakdown of how we were going to introduce the show, and then he (laughs) he immediately went sideways with it. That's working on your toes, everybody. Uh, hey, I was so
2: inspired by our band Shyamalan, yeah,
1: you, 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 yeah, you definitely pulled the rug from underneath me, and what a twist from Liam! Uh, so yes, today we're going to be talking about *A Knock at the Cabin*, which is Shyamalan's newest film. Uh, as you can see, we are not joined by everybody on the show as uh one of our hosts is sick right now and the other one uh hated this movie so much that we were best to not have him on the show. Uh, I wouldn't say hated it he his review was it was boring. Now I don't know if I feel the same way. But uh first up like Sam, uh tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What brings you here?
0: Uh well, uh I am a filmmaker kind of. Haven't made anything for a bit. Um But I've watched a lot of movies, and I am a big fan of M. Night Shyamalan specifically, which I think is why I'm here today. That's Yeah, basically.
1: Uh, Um, So Liam, uh, Sam, and I, we worked together for a very short period of time, kind of off and on over the past couple of years here. Uh, And then Sam moved away on us. So now he's on the opposite side of the country. And uh, I know this is probably pretty late for you, right? This is like 9 o'clock. 9.45.
0: 9.45. Holy,
1: we will not keep you too long. Uh, yeah, but then again, we'll say, see.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea what the time difference is out, out where you are. I just know that the further you go, like, I have cousins that live in Halifax, and I think that's like a three-hour difference.
1: Yeah, I think even on one of the islands, it's like three and a half. Anyway, uh, that's that's how time works and the rotation around the Earth. Anyway, um, so yeah, Shyamalan is uh, now. You said his name differently. Is that was that on purpose, or is that just how you it actually is pronounced? Have we been saying it wrong? Is it pronounced different?
2: I don't I've know. I've We just said Shyamalan.
1: Yeah, we say Shyamalan.
0: I was doing like full, like s- syllable style, like Shyamalan,
1: <laughs> like phonetically. <laughs> yeah, uh, Shyamalan. Uh, However way you pronounce it, uh, M. Night Shyamalan is a pretty prolific director, at least in the thriller and horror genre. I'm looking at his Wikipedia. I'm trying not to read it word for word. But is, yeah, pretty much best known for uh, Signs, uh, Sixth Sense, and uh, one of the most hated films of all time being The Last Airbender. Uh, Shyamalan has been around for quite a long time. I believe his first his first real film is one. Yeah, pre- praying with anger. But I don't think anybody will ever see that.
2: Well, for all intents and terp- all intents and purposes, The Sixth Sense was his fir- is his first major movie. Yeah, like the other ones, yeah, you know, like praying with anger and Wide Awake. You can't find anywhere. Well, I think Wide Awake you can find pretty easily. But- uh, yeah. apparently it's becoming a little bit more common, but I don't know any per- anyone personally who's seen that movie. I haven't. Sam, have you seen either of them? Uh,
0: I haven't. I've seen clips of Wide Awake. That was a major film, though. That was released by, like, big studio, TriStar, I think.
1: Uh, TriStar Miramax, actually, distributed by Miramax. But, uh, yeah, starring the great Dennis Leary and the not-so-great Rosie O'Donnell in (laughs) in that film. Maybe flip those. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about either one of them. But uh, we're not talking about Wide Awake today. We're talking about his most recent film, A Knock at the Cabin.
2: I think before we get into that, just because there is a lot to say about the man himself, maybe just get into our experiences and thoughts with uh, Shyamalan just as a filmmaker. Because I know uh, in my interest, at least in my interest in film, uh, uh, was it Shyamalan surprisingly played a major role in in influencing uh, where I would go with film in my life? like as a viewer or as a maker Uh, a little bit of both so honest uh what is a way described it is the sixth sense might actually be the movie that introduced me to the concept of like film studies and theory because oh, really? that was the first time i ever really started to pick up on and realize oh images mean something <laughs> and symbolism oh yeah yeah um because i was 12 when i saw that movie and I remember it was the first time I really like started to understand like what the process of the film studies was, and picking up on, uh, on symbolism and like uh, just certain, uh, I was at certain directing sensibilities, and like just style. It was, yeah, probably the first time I noticed that, and definitely it, it seems like very basic stuff now, but it was my introduction to it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Sam, what's what's your
1: journey with Shyamalan?
0: Uh, I actually saw the sixth sense when I was maybe 10 uh it was a friend's birthday party and he had a bunch of kids over and that was what he wanted to watch for some reason
1: <laughs> 10 year old was uh, like this is this is the cinema I would like to watch on my birthday
0: yeah uh, it scared the hell out of me for sure yeah um but then I didn't watch anything other than unbreakable for like school until I watched the happening in high school and I ended up like unironically loving it. And that's that's when I knew something was off. <laughs> with you got, or with uh, Shyamalan?
2: <laughs> uh, both. Yeah, fair I had a similar yeah. thing, except it was with Lady of the Water when I was like uh, 13, because I was like, "Oh, this movie's really dumb. I think it's kind of artsy. I like it."
1: Yeah, my my journey with Shyamalan has definitely not been as I would assume as extensive as the two of you, because I've seen a good portion of his films. That's for sure. But the first one I think I ever saw was uh, Signs, I believe. Like watch the full thing and i mean science came out in 2002 so i was 10 i uh, when it came out i don't think i saw it when i was 10 i think i saw it like a little little ways later but then you know Sixth Sense and whatnot people kind of throw those movies at you and part of the, like the the public genome or whatnot um there's zeitgeist sorry and then you know you kind of absorb it so i, th- I feel like i'd seen the Sixth Sense prior to ever actually knowing who Shyamalan was, just by cultural osmosis and whatnot. But, um, yeah, having seen uh, Signs and whatnot, then I think I went on to go watch The Sixth Sense. But my favorite Shyamalan movie is Unbreakable. That's just a fact uh, for me, Um, with probably, like, a very close second being Old, (laughs) which is funny because those are two opposite sides of the spectrum for for Shyamalan. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I assume... Most of you have seen, like, the past couple of his movies in theaters, right?
2: I've actually seen every Shyamalan movie in theaters since uh, The Visit.
1: Really? Wow, okay. Uh... Um, I
2: didn't. I watched After Earth at home just because I was still royally pissed off after The Last Airbender, as that's one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. And was absolutely like with David Lynch and Dune, not a project he should have touched. Yeah, fair enough.
1: I've seen the last four. So I saw Knock at the Cabin and Old with Liam and Glass and Split. Actually, I saw four of those with Liam. Look at that. Isn't that funny? But I know I saw The Happening and uh, that's it, actually, in terms of ones that I saw in the theater. Unbreakable, I just saw because I worked at a video store and I was like, oh, what the hell is this? And then I just watched the shit out of it all the time. Um, I do love that film. But, uh, yeah, so Knock at the Cabin, uh, newest film by Shyamalan, came out. Like, what, four days ago, I think? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so as as of the date of the recording, when you have, when you, this will be out on YouTube, it would have been out for a whole week, so it gives you enough time to maybe go out and check it out and see it yourself before watching this video. But then again, how would you know to go see it without us telling you? It's weird. I don't know why I time stuff like this, but that's what I'm doing. And, uh... Yeah, so it came out uh, just this past Friday. It's uh, based off of a novel called The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul G. Tremblay, which, after reading the synopsis of the book, the movie is drastically different. And I don't even know why they would even call it an adaptation, because it, it's not really similar characters, similar themes, but I think those are the only things that indicate it being an adaptation. But I don't know if you guys are familiar with the with the novel or the author at all.
0: I read up the synopsis uh right after the movie because I was curious. the The way the plot went didn't seem like a book; it seemed like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Hmm. I would be, um, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it was very surprising how just completely different it is. Yeah, uh, I, I, so
1: for me, I, I agree. I think, I think it's definitely a movie that plays like a Shyamalan movie, especially the ending, like. One thing I, I feel like Shyamalan is getting away from and doing a really good job at it is moving away from the what a twist kind of thing where the whole twist of the movie, at least of Knock at the Cabin, is that what you're seeing unfold is truly happening. <laughs> like
2: Honestly, the, the way he did it this time around kind of reminded me a little bit of the way he did it in Signs, okay. um, like a signs isn't really a uh was it doesn't really have a twist signs more so just you realize like oh that's what this is about by the ending it's not like a big reveal or whatnot like and a lot of it is signs is like essentially an allegory and it's a showcase for like uh everything that's going on like the aliens or whatnot in the backdrop is is literally just the backdrop for a story just about faith and family
1: yeah true
2: and this one goes a very similar route in that sense
1: I've noticed that's always been kind of a theme with him, is either the world is ending, or God hates everyone. <laughs> like, that's just kind of, I mean, obviously that's not his, his his main bag, but that's a big theme with a lot of his
0: films, I don't know. Uh, it's a relentlessly optimistic God hates everyone,
2: though. Yes, actually.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would argue, I would argue the same, especially with Knock at the Cabin. So, Knock at the Cabin is a apocalyptic psychological thriller. It says horror film on on uh, Wikipedia. I don't know if I'd call it a horror film. Um, definitely kind of categorize it more as a thriller. Uh, stars the wonderful Dave Bautista because let's face it, he is the star of this of this picture. Um, also has Jonathan Goff, uh, Ben Aldrich. Uh, and then a bunch of other people, I don't know, except for R- Rupert Grint. He's also in it for a little bit. <laughs> uh, does somebody want to summarize the film for us? Liam, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pass it on you. Or Sam, and maybe tag-team it. And go back and forth on it.
2: Okay, so... Uh, essentially, this movie kind of just gets right into it. It starts with uh, just a little girl and her adoptive dad's at cabin. It's not very... They're just kind of on vacation, just taking some time away when, uh, this little girl is approached by a very large man and he essentially starts to play a game with her and talk with her until he, his friends kind of show up and are like, yeah, we got to do something terrible. She runs home to tell her dads, they come in and hold the family hostage and telling them that, uh, They have to, I was, they have to sacrifice, uh, one of them, one of them, like, one of the three of them has to sacrifice themselves to prevent the apocalypse. And until they do that, each of them will, uh, take their own lives. Of the four of them that, yeah, of the four of them that arrived. And it coincides with, like, uh, just with, uh, newscasts of, like, seemingly, like, natural disasters and apocalyptic events. Yeah, catastrophic
1: events, as it were. Yeah.
2: Uh, that's pretty much the main crux of it. Without getting into spoilers, I think. Unless am I missing anything? Uh,
0: there's also like, you know, the side plot of the two protagonists, um, their experiences as like a, a gay couple mm-hmm. in the, yeah, yeah. in America and adopting, kind of underlining,
1: yeah, adopting their daughter, um, who uh, I believe this is her first film. And what is her name again? When? When? Um, yeah. So when? Uh, being their very young daughter, I don't know how old. Did they ever really say how old she is?
2: I think Six? They, oh seven. They say she, yeah. They say she's in like second grade.
1: Yeah, so seven year old girl. Um, she's quite adorable and frankly a very good actor for being seven years old and probably younger at the well, probably older now, but probably seven around the time of the the making of the film. But she's quite good for being a seven year old actor. And for a Shyamalan movie, too. Well, That's especially
2: true. given how hit or miss Shyamalan can be with working with kids. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, as funny as it is, the kids in uh, Old are very awkward and don't seem to have any ideas to what we are doing. <laughs> but then on the other end, you get a uh, uh, Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense or uh, uh, what's, uh, I forget that actor's name, but Willis's son in Unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: What's your name in or, Occupation, Liam? That's a different movie. Uh,
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, I guess we should just get into how we felt about the film. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you Why don't you start, Sam? Since uh, you're our guest.
0: Sure. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, I actually didn't expect to love it. Um, I thought this was going to be more like subdued, more like a straight up kind of more studio thriller just based on how it was marketed. Um, it wasn't that. Uh, it was kind of a throwback to those uh, 90s-style um, psychological thrillers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought it was a lot like Signs, which is my favorite Shyamalan movie. Um, and Dave Batista was great in it. Um, yeah, it basically hit all of the notes that I want out of his movies.
1: Fair enough liam go yeah. ahead
2: i also enjoyed it quite a bit um i think overall i would consider it to be somewhere like mid-tier Shyamalan. um like i think it's his best directed movie in a very long time like uh it does still have some of those camera angles that i'm sure mean something to him but they mean absolutely nothing to the audience or anyone else or it's not very clear for intentions but that's kind of a love it or hate it shamalan uh motif that i personally don't hate Mm -hmm. like there it's some shots of movies that i can't stand like the uh moving between the chairs in uh unbreakable right at the beginning like i don't know what the point is there um but or like just some of the shots and old but no this one it was actually pretty straightforward for the most part i was in the way he decided to block and uh shoot it uh you can tell at points that this did have other people contribute to the script. Exactly. But it two is. <laughs> yeah. But it is still very much a Shyamalan movie. Yeah. Um, I was just, I was a little sad, but I didn't get any laughably absurd or awkward lines Ever one or two, but it's, uh, surprisingly lacking this time around. Um, I would agree that, uh, most, uh, was it Batista absolutely kills it. Uh, some of the, uh, I was it? like with any Shyamalan movies, some of the cast knows how to deliver and make the dialogue work others, not so much like for as good as Batista was, I really didn't think uh Rupert Grint was able to make it work. Mm-hmm. Like just something about him was a little off. And I honestly did like the sentiment at the end of a movie. Even if I did see, even if I did slowly start to call it as it went uh overall i think this is probably his best film since uh split in fact uh in some evaluation i might make it a l- like it a little bit more than split like no i was just really happy to see that like this feels like something he would have made around the same era as uh sign i uh, was at uh signs or uh, the village and just f- and it was just refreshing that it was shot on that was actually shot on film as i don't think he's done that in a long time
1: was it shot on film or was it just using like 70 mil lenses and stuff?
2: I think
0: it was digital with old school uh, anamorphics. Yeah, yeah, mm. I think that. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah,
2: because uh, I read somewhere that he shot it with film and he used uh, and he used like older lenses uh, with a modern camera.
1: I know the le- the newer lenses, or sorry, the older lenses is definitely a fact because um, it it definitely has that look and feel. And there's multiple times where it's you couldn't achieve something like that with with like a modern lens or at least it wouldn't look this same. you could achieve it but it wouldn't look the same um i think I, I have a very similar sentiment to the two of these guys in that i also very much enjoyed it uh i like old more but i think that's because i laugh at old i don't laugh with it and this movie I, I agree with liam there was no extremely laughable moments i know you're not I know it's almost like bullying Shyamalan at this point that I find that I laugh at his movies more often than I do with. Because I don't even think he, he wants you to laugh with them. I think he's being pretty serious most of the time. He definitely has a good sense of humor. Like when he... Spoiler, there's a his cameo. I'll spoil his cameo before we get too far into his, into this full spoilers for the movie. But uh, he appears on an infomercial slinging chicken. And it's like... That's a very funny cameo, you know, and that's one that I think he's like, you can laugh at this. <laughs> Please go right ahead. Uh, but uh, yeah, for the, I liked it a lot. I think um, uh, I share a very similar sort of idea with Liam in that I think Batista is probably the strongest out of everybody. Uh, he has a very weird way about him where he can somehow make Shyamalan dialogue not sound absolutely batshit ridiculous, and it's still very you know cohesive i think that just comes from batista being a wrestler um in that a lot of what they say when they go up on on in the ring is always very fucking ridiculous and so i think he's able to take a lot of that um performance well i, th-
2: well, I think with Shyamalan is that you need actors who uh play this kind of silliness completely straight like let's say if uh Shyamalan threw in like a uh... One of the uh, billion actors who just like want who just likes to look at the camera and save ever in on the joke or and just point say, tell the audience we're in on the joke it just wouldn't work at all, and I feel like uh I was a with Batista Shyamalan kind of found the perfect movie mo- movie star who can uh I was it who uh, won't do that and knows how to take things even if they sound a little ridiculous and play it and make you just somehow make it work because they play it straight
1: yeah
0: yeah. Uh, Uh, Go ahead, Sam.
2: I was going to say, too,
0: um, Jonathan Groff uh, in this, um, similarly to what Liam was saying, um, how it takes a certain type of actor to take Shyamalan's sometimes extremely ridiculous and uh, off-putting dialogue style and not make it just, like, repulsive, Mm -hmm. which I know a lot of viewers of this movie is just, they can't take it. It's just too ridiculous. It's too surreal and just uh, unbelievable. But I thought it's rare that he can get a performance that's that emotionally strong, and not have it have moments where it's like, you know, too much, or it's too uh, too far removed from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did a great job with that. Yeah, uh,
1: I think Shyamalan's directing is. I wouldn't say it's top of its game. It's kind of riding its its plateau, which is exactly where it needs to be. He does the very weird camera shit the entire movie there's that one shot with Batista where the camera like goes down with the axe and I was like that was fucking really cool <laughs> um, it was
2: actually just... one of a more weird uh weird shot choices that I thought actually really worked for the movie and,
1: it, and frankly it's the only one that I can really remember uh because there's the other there's the one where Batista's standing in the middle of the f- or you know he's standing between um Eric and Andrew and it's like half of his head fills up the screen, and then you have one of the guys, um, uh, strapped to a chair and then the other shot will be the other half of his head on the other side of screen. If you guys remember that, where it was like going across his head like that. And it's just like Dave Batista's massive, weird looking ball sack looking head, just like in the middle of the frame. I don't know if I'm speaking for myself here, but I noticed I, it and I thought it was strange, but.
0: I don't remember that one, but there's the, uh, there's the sequence where, uh, it's between batista and i think i think eric and it's these ultra extreme close-ups and it cross cuts between two extreme close-ups and it keeps getting more and more zoomed on Mm. batista's face until his entire just facial features not even his full skull is taking up the entirety of the frame and it's a dutch angle
2: the whole time too right yes bizarre there's actually uh So, this movie, with its cinematography, does things that I usually can't stand in movies, which is the extreme close-ups, where, like, it's only, like, this part. Like, you can't see the whole head. Like, whenever you're doing a close-up on somebody's head, like, he cuts the top of the head off a lot. But I thought it worked for this one going around. Like, at times, I did feel like uh, somebody was going to just come out of a camera and make out with me. (laughs) But, honestly, since the uh, movie is trying to go for that more, like... Making you uncomfortable, thing. It didn't, I didn't find it as off putting as I usually do.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and actually, I do have, uh, I don't know how much you guys know about production of this, and I think I'm kind of just throwing this out into the ether. But for a movie that takes place in one location, mostly one room, even, because it's essentially like it's a cabin, right? So a cabin, you could argue, only really has like two or three rooms to begin with. But most of the movie takes place within that one living room area space so i'm curious how long the movie actually took to shoot because like obviously there's a lot of setups and obviously there's a lot of stuff going on but i would probably wager that this was probably like what a two month shoot if that i don't know i don't know From
2: what from what i looked into or from when what? i was following production, i think it might have been only just like a month
1: yeah i'm not sure i can't really find anything on the wikipedia that says otherwise but uh
0: I did see, uh, like the the budget was surprisingly high, higher than what I thought. Right, I thought uh,
1: twenty million. Yeah, twenty million yeah. for something like this. Which I I could maybe see, like, I don't know, visually the movie probably feels more closer to like a ten to twelve, and then they were like, here's an extra eight million, you got to pay Batista. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this guy, that guy's making bank. I'll tell you that. Uh, but anyway, maybe we should just uh, – maybe we should jump into spoilers for Knock at the Cabin unless, Liam, you had anything else you wanted to bring up about production or anything like that?
2: Uh, yeah, no. Um, I feel like uh, – well, I said was saying earlier I feel like uh, this movie feels like it – it's kind of refreshing to see a movie on, like, such a small scale with, like – let's face it. For the most part, the, uh, mid-budget, uh, the mid-budget blockbuster is kind of dead. Mm-hmm. Shyamalan, I think, and b- people like Shyamalan are some of the only directors, I think, who can actually get those made. And even with Shyamalan, I don't know how he's, uh, like, I know with uh, Glass, he put his house on lease. Mm-hmm. Um, But, like, I don't know how he keeps convincing Bill to do it, but to do this, but I respect that he does. I think they um, made like,
1: enough money. Like, Glass and Old made enough money for him to go
0: do the weird shit again. Well, I mean, Old is a weird movie, but.
2: Well, and, hmm. uh, oh, sorry, go on, Sam.
0: Uh, he actually did put up uh, all of his own money for old as well. I know that was part of his deal with uh, Universal was that he had to self fund anything he made. Uh, I'm not sure if that was with Knock at the Cabin as well. But
1: well, like, could you imagine? Like... It's just like we we will put your movie out, but you have to self fund these millions of dollars in perpetuity forever moving forward <laughs> like that would be so discouraging as an as a director personally but I guess he's Shyamalan so you know he's got some pocket change to go make a movie
2: also with uh I think there's also the fact that people are over the past little bit have been starting to have a re- bit of a reevaluation about Shyamalan like even the I've always said Shyamalan is kind of my favorite double-edged sword director because uh he made my most hated movie of all time but he also made some of my favorites like, I love Unbreakable. The Sixth Sense is one of my favorite movies. I am even in the camp of people who really likes uh who really likes the village. Yeah. Um But ever since, like, uh I partially blame things like the nostalgia critic for this, but Shyamalan kinda turned into a joke. And like uh people would go always go off and say, Shyamalan's never been good. He's a he's a shite director, he can't write for the life of him. And I've always been to the uh I was to the opinion that I don't think Shyamalan is a bad writer or filmmaker. I think uh, he's a, I think he's actually pretty decent half the time. He just doesn't always make good things.
1: Yeah, and I think he's um, just so himself and unapologetically yeah, just, so that he doesn't really need to answer to anybody when it comes to making his movies. And I don't really think he even gives a shit about well, anything was, that fans or, or general audiences go see his movies because he's like, what? fuck you <laughs> like
2: i mean when he was younger i could you could tell he had a bit of an ego and i think a lot of that comes from like uh your first for all intents and purposes your first major release being like a cultural phenomenon um but no i i just wanted to say that i'm kind of happy that he is starting to get a uh, reevaluation just cuz so, it's so rare that we see like directors like Shyamalan who are just very unapologetically the kind of directors they are and have their very distinct styles. Yeah. Especially when the highest grossing movies right now are made by like f- f- fucking Russo brothers or something. People who are Peyton Reed who just have absolutely no style or voice whatsoever. Yeah. Just studio directors
1: basically. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah. Should we jump into spoilers for knock at the cabin? Sure. Alrighty. Yeah. So uh, as we've kind of mentioned kind of what the movie's about, uh, the biggest thing is that, uh, we see um, Leonard, um, who is played by Dave Batista, and his gang, uh, who includes Sabrina, Adrian, and Redmond. And the four of these people arrive at this cabin uh, to instruct uh, Eric, Andrew, and Wen that they, if they don't sacrifice one of them, that the entire world will, will end. Um, but in doing so, they basically need to... Sacrifice themselves to prove the point, I think, is kind of what they're getting at. Um, and as every single bail. time they do, a debt is paid um, to humanity. And as a result, a bunch of catastrophic stuff starts to go down. And they start showing them on the television all the catastrophic stuff. So we start with um, uh, her- uh, earthquakes and tsunamis, I think, is the
2: first one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the tsunami's uh, the first one. And that is um, from also, Redmond.
1: Uh, Redmond Killing Himself, played by Rupert Grint.
2: So, also, it should be noted that um, I oh, was it, that, uh, These guys are insistent that uh, they never met or planned anything before this. They literally just found each other online because they were all starting to have like specific visions. You know, visions from uh,
1: God, as it were. And so they arrive. They start doing this. They start knocking themselves off one one after another until it's just um, Leonard, Andrew, Eric, and Wen left, and throughout this time, you see them basically torture these people. Well, not, they're not really even trying to torture them. They're just trying to prove a fucking point. <laughs> like, a,
2: they're actually surprisingly, uh, weirdly compassionate. Like, cause early on, uh, they, uh, I think, yeah, it's Aunt, uh, Eric who, uh, gets hit and, uh, he gets concussed and, uh, the lady who concussed him insisting she's a, uh, was it a nurse is like very nurturing and, uh, protect and like, just like, Oh no, no, I'm so sorry. I just, uh, this wasn't, this wasn't it to be intention. I-
0: go ahead you uh you mentioned earlier um like the uh the bringing out the profession and things uh there's a trope that Shyamalan does where he introduces characters vocally by them introducing themselves their full name and what they do and their backstory it's like a log line of a character in one sentence on screen uh I wasn't expecting that from a movie like this but he somehow found a way <laughs> to fit all four villains.
1: I know we we've talked about old uh, already, but that's I think he wrote that as a joke into old with the two kids running around and asking everybody, "What's your name and occupation?" Like I, I'm pretty sure he knows that it was a, like a thing, that, a trope that he's had, and this one he's like, "Just go back to it." So when Eric knock gets knocked out or whatever gets the the concussion. There's a character in Old whose name is Jaren, and he is a nurse, and he does not neglect to tell you this four times throughout that film. And when you find out that she's a nurse, she just goes, like, he gets hurt, and he goes, I can help you. I'm a nurse. I looked over at Liam with this biggest shocked face, like, are you fucking kidding me?
2: I was, (laughs) I was, I know I shouldn't have been, but I was giggling pretty hard about theater. Yeah,
1: like, I'm a nurse. Like, moving forward, how many nurses is he just going to plug into his movies? I think she was in Old, too.
0: Is she? That actress,
1: yeah. What's her name again? Is that Abby Quinn? No. Uh... Hold on. Keep talking. I'll go. I'll look it up real quick. That's all right. I got it, Liam. Her name's Nikki oh. uh, Amuka Bird, I believe. If I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. But uh, I believe she is in Old. That's right. And I believe she is Jaron's wife. Yes. well
2: shit that just came full circle yeah
1: she is Jaren's wife and she went on to become a nurse so look at it's her it's canon <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so anyway that's the basic setup for the spoiler side of things I suppose um, I guess there's more if somebody else wants to Whoa. take the reins from me
2: so while these uh, sacrifices are happening um, obviously uh, Eric and Andrew are just are, like when not as much When's just scared because she's a little girl she's but got her headphones
1: are... on most of the time she's she, yeah, like the, after the, after the opening when you really in, or you're introduced to her she's not really in the movie you know and it, it um, kind of stops being about her she's there like she sits on the laps and she's an integral to um, a huge multiple parts of the film but for the most part she's just kind of there but anyway the
2: sorry natu- yeah. yeah naturally uh the two fathers are like this is ridiculous or this is absolutely absurd but like they start to see but what but they all, they're like this is absurd, but they slowly start to think like, wait a second, there was a past incident where, because they recognize, um, uh, Rupert Grint's character as somebody who, um, assault, who uh, assaulted one of them years earlier. Um, and, uh, there's also a the fat, and they also start to question it as well, because Batista or Leonard mentors mentioned something about how he's, he's a uh, school coach. But he also, uh, works, serves, he also works as a bartender. So we're starting to think that this might be a crime. Uh, was it a revenge crime? Like or like a uh, hate crime or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah hate slash revenge crime for the incident that happened years before. So throughout like a good bulk of it, like about the middle, there's like a lot of argument and questioning like, are these guys actually doing something? Or are these guys just trying to get revenge? Or did is this actually like an apocalyptic event? Because they keep pulling up, uh, they keep showing the things on TV, but despite clearly being apocalyptic, it's like, this is a little too good to be, a little too close to be true. And it kind of plays around with that, with uh, that idea a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the news segments. I'm wondering what you guys thought of those, because it's a frequent thing. It's an important plot device is, Batista will turn on this massive flat screen TV uh, anytime the uh, the suicide happens and the apocalypse, uh, like sin of humanity is triggered. So whether it's like planes falling from the sky or fires or whatever. Um, But it's always like right on the news as soon as he turns on the TV and the newscasters are saying everything that's happening in like the most nondescript like boilerplate ai generated way of Mm. describing a major
2: disaster that's happening well the first one i thought was ridiculous like where there's this huge tsunami coming at nobody and barely anybody's running or freaking out despite the fact that there's a wave the size of like uh i was at the size of a courthouse about to crush them i also um it's also unclear as to how they got that footage Mm -hmm. because i was like how did they uncover that phone was she live streaming her and also why would somebody be live streaming if uh, there's a big tsunami about to hit them?
1: And they do bring it up. Um or at least I believe Andrew brings it up when he says like you keep looking at your watch. Um so it is a it is a uh, like a conversation piece in the film that I uh, is this pre-recorded and that actually does come up where it says, you know, previously recorded in the bottom corner when they're watching one of the news broadcasts. Um so there is definitely that element of misleading you to think that this is not real, that these four are just pulling a strangers on them and just killing them because they were home kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, the movie doesn't hide that, I mean, especially at the end, that this is actually happening, right? That this is real. It is suspicious and a weird scripting thing that they're happening when they're happening. Like, you'd think they'd wait 10 minutes and then turn on the TV or something, but...
2: One of them, I thought, uh, one of the newscast things I thought was chilling but also hilarious uh, was it just because of, like, again, the AI-generated newscast, but also just the situation of, like, this is horrifying. Like, when all of the planes just start dropping, I think it's because that's, like, one of my biggest fears, like, mm-hmm. being in a plane that just start, that just goes Mayday. And just imagine that on a mass level, but you also, again, have the newscasters just delivering this in the most, like... And then this happens, and then this happens, <laughs> and then this happens, kind of a way of saying it.
0: Yeah, That's what got it for me, is, like, it's the literal apocalypse, and the newscasters are, like, reading off a grocery list. <laughs> just,
1: well, I think that might be Shyamalan just being satirical over a 24-hour news cycle and how removed people are from, like, once they get into that sort of line of work, how how they have to be removed from it. Um, because they can't let, you know, the constant barragement of, of negativity and negative news coming at them affect them. But, it, I mean, it's also just Shyamalan writing. So, I, like, I, <laughs> it, it could just be him being like, well, that's just how I watch the news. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, I don't know how to feel about it. Uh, convey
0: info effectively.
2: <laughs> if,
1: if boring is effective, then damn right. <laughs> I agree. Um,
2: uh, one criticism I have heard about this movie that I don't entirely agree with until like with a few exceptions is that they keep talking about how uh, Eric and Andrew just keep making really stupid choices while we are trying to escape. Honestly, most of the things they did, I found, I found that most sensible people would probably try to do.
1: What do you mean? Sorry, like with the gun and oh oh yeah yeah um so John uh we saw this movie with John and Lucas, uh my girlfriend and Liam so it was the five of us that went to go see this, and uh John had brought this up after we saw the film that he wasn't mad at anybody's choice because they were all logical like every single choice that that the cap the captives people being held captive would that be a captive captives captives. All right, we'll go with that. Um, the people being held captive. Every single time they had to make a choice, it was logical. Like, of course he wouldn't drive away when he goes to go get the gun. In your head, in a horror movie logic, you're like, drive away, drive away. But no, he goes and he gets the gun, and then he points it at her, and then he shoots her in the fucking chest. The, <laughs> only,
2: like, one I th- the only one that I thought was really stupid, but even then they, only, they didn't really fall for it. I mean, for a second I was like, no, just, just no. The bathroom? when uh they yeah leonard in the bathroom and then to try to psych them he breaks a small window to make it look like he climbed <laughs> through and i'm like no you idiot there's no way a man of that size or stature would fit there and get out so fast
1: well when he shoots the bathroom curtain i was like did he actually get through that hole <laughs> like, like i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised and then he manages to be hiding in the in the tub or
2: whatever but um yeah anyway that was the only moment of where I just thought, like, no, you idiot. He's clearly still in there. There's no question about it. He couldn't get through that. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. And so all of this stuff goes down. Um. One by one, they get knocked off. You learn that uh, Sabrina. Oh, Sabrina is the nurse, right? Uh, yeah. Adrian. Yes. Yeah. So it goes Redmond, who is Rupert Grint's character. And when he dies, that's when the tsunamis and, and the earthquakes start to happen. And then Adrian dies, and uh, Adrian is a single mother and a bartender. And... Or, no,
0: she's
2: a, yeah, she's a cook or oh, a chef. A... Like a line chef?
1: Oh, right. Yes. Which would make sense if she was working in a restaurant with Batista as well and, and whatnot. Anyway, so she, yeah, she's a line cook or whatever. She's a single mother. And when she dies, what, what what's the tr- catastrophe that happens when she dies again? I think we remember. That.
2: I was gonna say shoot That one wasn't the planes, wasn't it? Uh. No, I believe the the planes. Oh, it's the virus. Yeah, it was the plague. Oh, right. Right.
1: Yes, the the one that's basically COVID, and it's like we get it, dude. But he's like, but only this, only the kids get sick. It's like cool. Anyway, and then <clears throat> Adrian ends up dying. And oh, not Adrian. Sorry, Sabrina ends up dying, and when Sabrina dies, that's when the airplanes start falling out of the goddamn sky, and that's that was actually, that's a pretty scary visual, you know, knowing that that's thousands of people that are just literally falling from the sky. And uh, then finally, when Batista dies, that's when God starts dragging his fingers across the ground with lightning and making everything burst into flames. Uh, Batista, being the last one, slits his own throat, and then the decision is needs to be made between Eric and Andrew, of who needs to sacrifice themselves for humanity. And in doing that, there's been this moment that's been strung throughout the movie where Andrew had seen a light behind the four of the these people.
2: Like right as, uh, Rupert, right as they kill uh, Redmond.
1: Yes. So this is at the very beginning of the film, and he keeps saying, I saw someone there. I saw somebody in the reflection or whatever. Which I'd have, I would like to see the movie again to see if I, there actually is anybody in the reflection. I don't know if you noticed anything, Sam. Uh, I
2: don't think so. Yeah, it was yeah, I, yeah, I just saw like a big flash of light just from like the – it, it's like a lens flare almost. That's pretty much all I saw. Yeah,
1: and it's meant to kind of evoke that, you know, he has a concussion, right? And when you get a concussion – I don't know if either of you have had a concussion in the past. Yeah. But, uh, you know, your, your light, sensitivity to light and whatnot. Uh, becomes really fucked up. So that's kind of what I interpreted it as. And then obviously, as the movie goes on, you're it's probably r- real. But uh, he decides that he will sacrifice himself. Andrew decides he'll sacrifice himself. Um, and like, Eric... Eric does. Sorry, Eric, Eric does what... that. And then Andrew and Wen drive away in the car and drive off into the sunset. And no harm, no foul. <laughs> I mean, aside from five bodies and yeah. more. But that's Um, the the basic plot with spoilers for anybody at home.
2: uh, Well, one major thing. Well, Andrew, so Eric's realization for this is that he puts together that um, he believes that before people who showed up were before Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yes. And that they came to them, uh, was it, to show them compassion and to show them aspects of humanity to try and convince them to uh, save the rest of everybody. Like saying, like... uh, what does he say? Like uh Adrian was a chef and uh, uh what is it? It was like and was like feeding them. Um and then they all I uh, was it uh what if it was a nurse and they all just came because they wanted to get to know them? Um I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how to explain this.
0: That's huh. pretty like spot on, honestly. It's very literal. And I'll say like I saw it with my partner and uh she's not into Shyamalan really at all. But uh that was the point where like the audible groans came.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: was this like totally completely literal four horsemen of the apocalypse, every character trait, every everything. Oh
1: over explaining yeah. it in the final act, it's like you're you're, you're exposition dumpening with five minutes left in the movie. But and that's Shab- a very classic Shyamalan over Shab- the Shab- past couple of years,
2: yeah. Pretty much uh well even like uh, some of his more acclaimed movies, like Unbreakable has that. Mm-hmm. Like some people think Unbreakable's ending is a little over explained. Um but uh, was it the village's ending is very overexplained. Yeah. Uh old it's to a ridiculous degree. That was overkill. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that that's like even as a defender of his writing, that was too much.
1: It's a old. full like thirty minutes uh well not full. I mean Liam and I want, like we said this earlier, Liam and I watched old right after seeing uh knock the cabin. We've Liam and I've watched it a handful of times together and I don't know, we were in a mood And so, and I mean, there was maybe a few other things involved in wanting to watch that movie. And so we watched it and yeah, it's like a, it's genuinely like 20 minutes of Shyamalan, not literally, but the characters explaining everything that you just saw and really overdoing it. Like this person had an inoperable brain tumor. This person had seizures. This person had this. Remember those cocktails? Yeah, remember those cocktails? We gave them this drink, and then um, this – well, frankly, what they're doing on the beach is not incredibly the worst thing. (laughs) Like, it's not the worst. I wouldn't say it's ethically correct, but it's, like, morally – like, actually, it's not morally right, but it's, a like, ethically, like, eventually down the road delivering a uh, a seizure medication that you could take once every 16 years – to prevent your seizures is fucking amazing. But um, that's a spoiler for old. But, but.
2: with uh, A Knock of a Cabin, it's very much like it's somewhere kind of between that with the ending, like the early Shyamalan uh, kind of explanation thing and like old's ridiculous degree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Anyways. I Go ahead. I thought it was okay, uh, even though it was over explaining. Uh, this was a 95 minute movie, um, 95 minute wide release movie with themes that would turn people off if it was too subtle in a wide release yeah sure uh, yeah i'm I'm
2: okay with it honestly it didn't bother me too much i was kind of giggling though because i was like yeah all right but this is a little ridiculous you know liam i
1: know you said we shouldn't bring up politics but i am curious liam said this before we started the show I am kind of curious how, like, the Dems are going to take this movie. If they're going to be like, and they're going to run with it and be like, this is scripture, you know? i just curiosity. I don't know. I, I don't know enough about
2: politics for either of you to really. Well, the script was on, um, the script was actually on, uh, GLAD's, like, uh, best, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, best unproduced scripts of, I think, like, 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because this one was on the Hollywood blacklist and it was on there, so it's de- the movie's definitely pretty pro uh, LGBTQ plus. It yeah,
1: that's true. I mean, the, our leads are two gay men, so who have adopted a small child, which is not very, <laughs> not very damn,
0: you know. I did see some headlines that were uh, calling it like, "Here's why Knock at the Cabin is very conservative," and stuff. Yeah, um, I didn't really take it that way. It is a Film about religion for sure,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and it's at face value I think has some some themes that could be misconstrued, um, just on how literally it is using those biblical themes at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, this is quite a progressive movie for a movie about stand your ground self defense.
1: That's true. Yeah, and yeah. I think even the the you know the captors say we don't care that you're gay. We don't give a shit. <laughs> like somebody's got to die. We well, don't care. Even... We don't care if you're black, white, pink or Amish. It's just you... somebody's got to die. We don't care that
2: you're gay. Well, even uh with the whole stand your ground defense thing, like Sam was saying, uh, notice how, uh, the, uh, what is it? Uh, he really tries to, uh, Andrew really tries to avoid actually pulling that trigger. On the gun when he finally gets it. Yeah. Like even in points where I was like, it probably would have been wise to uh, at least sh- uh, to at least like shoot one of them in the knee so you could get away.
1: I did really like that how no one wanted to kill anyone, you know. And uh, Andrew and Eric when they lose control of the gun, even Batista's like, I'm not gonna kill you. I'm gonna shoot you in the leg so you can't run away. <laughs> like I don't I don't want to hurt you. You gotta hurt yourselves. That's fine, but I don't I don't want to be the one to do it. Um, <clears throat> which is an interesting thing for a villain. It's like very, very sympathetic and very aware of what he's doing and how he's like, I don't like it either, but if I don't do this, the world's going to fucking end.
2: Honestly, just kind of interesting for a uh, home invasion movie in general.
0: Yeah. That's something I don't know if we talked about. Um, These are all normal people. These four antagonists. Um, When they kill, they're repulsed by it. They throw up. Yeah. And they're like really not having it they don't even want to look but they have these like insane medieval torture devices
2: yeah like what' they're of killing them, people with yeah one of them uh i think it was sabrina has that chain uh what is it a uh, mallet thing that looks like it would be out of uh mad max
1: mm-hmm. yeah and they, and they they even say like these are all from our visions you know like we, we were told to build these things do you think they knew that they were meant to be like the four horsemen of the apocalypse
0: I think it's reasonable to assume that because they're they say they meet on a message board, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like they're engaging in some pretty like wacky new age uh, dream sharing experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can see them not wanting to say that to the people they're trying to save because that's
2: like instant nutso territory. That's true. Yeah. I mean, they're already risking enough with half of the things they say. Yeah, they
1: get yelled at for being living in an echo chamber as it were. And yeah, I just I'm I'm curious cuz I don't know I don't know if I read it where they the four of them saw themselves in those positions, but maybe they were aware of their integral piece or their integral parts in this prevention of the apocalypse. But I I don't know if I would read it as them necessarily knowing that this is what they are, but then maybe as time goes on they're like, "Oh shit, that's maybe who I am or what I'm, why I'm here." And I mean even when you get to the the finale with uh with uh, it's Eric who survives, right?
2: Uh no, it's Andrew. Andrew, Andrew is uh Eric is uh Jonathan Groff.
1: <laughs> I apologize if I for keep messing these two up. Um but uh yeah, so Andrew and when they get to the truck that um the four of them arrived in and the keys are just there. Like that's another one of those things where they weren't messing with them. They were like we want to help you. This is just literally the only way we can do it. And yeah. It's kind of, it's tragedy in a way, I suppose. I I don't know if it's the most tragic film I've ever seen, but it's definitely maybe in its thematic um, de- depiction of the apocalypse. I would definitely say it's more, um, like we've said before, it's a positive outlook, but still sucks the way things, everything happened, which, you know, a lot, some tragedies can kind of, comedic tragedies definitely fall into that. Um, but anyway, I'm talking on my you own. Know, it's, a, it's a movie
0: about the apocalypse that ends with... Uh... What's the song called? Hollywood Boogie by Cool and the Gang. Yeah, uh,
1: Boogie, no, it's uh, Boogie Shoes.
0: Boogie yeah. Shoes, right?
1: By Casey and the Sunshine Band.
2: Which, by the way, I did honestly kind of love that little bit. I did wish they just cut Vervo, where like Verim the car and uh, she turns it on, or then she turns it off, and then he turns it back on. I'm a simple man, but I w- with that, I was just like, okay.
1: I yeah, I said to I said to the guys when we were walking out it should have cut to black the moment he turns it back on and then cut to the credits with boogie shoes over top of it. I think that would have made a lot of people laugh and maybe not take the movie too seriously, which is what I think Shyamalan didn't want to happen. Um, cause I don't know if he edited it too, right? No.
2: He, uh, uh, no, I don't think he's ever edited his own movie. Yeah. I
1: wasn't sure if he had like a pseudonym or something, but anyway, like Neil Breen style. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> um, Or uh, the Coens, where I just had a fake name for a long
1: time. Well, no, Neil Breen just names himself everything on a movie, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, and then,
2: like, he'll be the catering company, too. Like, NB Catering. (laughs) Have you ever seen a Neil Breen movie, Liam? No, I never have. I know who he is, but I know what he does. I've never seen a Neil Breen movie, though. Uh,
1: Neil Breen is, I would say he's kind of like the Shyamalan, but he's he's Shyamalan of this sub-sub sub 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 indie genre like it's so far at the bottom of the barrel uh but fuck his movies are wild i've seen i've seen hapful findings or hopeful findings fateful findings i've seen fateful findings and it's fucking out there man (laughs) he thinks he's more and more out there too
0: how many's on now uh he's got a sixth one coming out which is a sequel to his last one twisted pair
2: what a guy yeah
0: yeah wild I, stuff
2: i know you uh sam watched one of his movies relatively recently
0: yeah it was twisted pair ah Where he plays both lead roles they're identical twins and <laughs> one just has like a cartman fake goatee and that's the only difference
1: that's so funny <laughs>
0: and so, and most of
1: these are on youtube right
0: uh no they just became available for rental uh yesterday because you used to only be able to buy them on DVD from his shady website that he would hand print himself on a jewel case. Right. So is that how you got your hands on them or Oh no, I'm not, you know, I'm not paying for those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's the Neil Breen show. We'll talk about that another day. But uh yeah, I mean overall I really enjoyed I really enjoyed Knock the Cabin. I think I uh, I understand why people wouldn't like it. I fully do. And I'm... I think it takes us Like, I'm not saying it takes a certain person, but it kind of does take a certain person to watch a Shyamalan movie and not take it too seriously, you know? Uh, I assume most people are capable of it, but even Lucas, he was just – he doesn't like Shyamalan. He's never liked a Shyamalan movie, ever. And – when we were walking out of the movie theater, his just response was, he was, I was so bored. I was so bored out of my skull. And it's not even that he hated it per se. I guess me teeing it up as Lucas hating this movie was incorrect because he just thought it was boring. I personally did not find it boring. Um, it sounds like neither of you did either. But I I'm can't...
2: honestly at a point where I think I'm just kind of... again, even though we made my most hated movie, I'm still kind of a Shyamalan stan. Yeah. Like, uh, honest, uh, sorry, just one more thing. Uh, honestly, like when he was making a string of like, uh, just worse movies as he went, I was always being like, oh, come on, man, you could do it again. You could do it again. And, uh, I know, uh, the visit is a pair is a very love is a very like it or hate it kind of movie. I personally think it's fine. I like the visit. Um, but like, uh, lately Shyamalan has kind of just gotten back to what I think he should be just like kind of a hit or miss director. Mm hmm.
0: I mean, he's a guy who um, has suffered the most catastrophic failures you can as a major studio filmmaker. And he somehow has gotten, like, more shots at redemption than I think anybody who's ever been in director jail.
1: Um, And I think it's because there's, like, no controversy with him. Like, even when he makes a bad movie, it's not, like, controversially bad or he didn't make, like, a terrible decision. I'm not not saying there's not the potential for him to have done something fucked up at some point let's face it that's coming up more and more in hollywood but he doesn't look like that guy he just he looks like a a dude who just loves making movies and is that my mic or somebody else's Oh, i'm hearing i'm hearing a bunch of noise it could be me it's probably me anyway sorry sorry for the viewer at home i'm not gonna edit that out anyway uh uh yeah he just he's the underdog you know and that's what I've liked so much about about Shyamalan is that he's just always making movies. Like Old came out last year. Well, and... even
2: like Sam, even Sam said Director Jail. Like, has he ever actually even been in Director Jail for an substantial amount of time? Because I think the longest gap between him making a movie was between um, Airbender after the three and after year Earth. gap between Airbender and After. Earth. Yeah,
1: and even After it's not really a Shyamalan movie. Let's face it. That's a I was working for a paycheck.
0: I think uh, after After Earth, um, I I seem to remember him saying that like he didn't think he was gonna get any chance to work in Hollywood again.
1: And I think that's why he went to make the visit because it was such a under like a low budget feature film, found footage, really bare bones. So I think that might have been him trying to be like, I gotta get back to my roots. Like I, I gotta I gotta find a way to get back into that territory. And then with split and glass, he was like, you know, why not why not fulfill that promise I had a long time ago of turning Unbreakable into a franchise, you know? So I think it was a lot of a lot of trying to regain people's trust in him to go make the weird shit again, like old and knock the cabin.
2: Because like, um, The Visit is a relatively okay. safe movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the ending. Like, the third act is where things start to get a little bit more... uh y
1: Those aren't your grandparents. I need you to get out of the house. Yeah. Um, I do like that movie a lot. It's as so safe now. as a
0: movie with a uh, rapping child can be. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much.
1: Well, yeah, because no one... Like, that our protagonists don't die, which is pretty rare. In a lot of uh, horror movies. And it's, yeah, pretty tame. Because I think it's a PG-13 film, right? I don't think it got an R rating. I could be wrong. It was also only made for $5 million and then went on to make $98 million. So, good for you, Shyam. Because you don't have to pay the kid from Alexander's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, a whole lot of money. Um, and you're just like, rap, dance, monkey, dance.
2: <laughs> or bad girl who went on to play Priscilla Presley.
1: Oh, she, I didn't know she was
2: Priscilla. Oh, look at that. Okay. Yeah, and Bob Luhrmann's Elvis. That's the same <laughs> actor. Oh. Um, no, I've said where for years at this point that uh, John in the same camp as uh, uh, was it for me as like Gore Verbinski or um, or Zack Snyder, where like even if I don't like half of her movies, I will still go to see. I will still always see a new one that comes out, just because with like how rare it is to see like. Oh, was it even if you make a movie that fails or is laughably bad I res- I have a lot more respect for people with a distinct voice and style who really try than uh just people who are just uh what is it uh making generic things just first just as a studio's hand. Yeah. Which is just we see way too often right now in uh, modern Hollywood. Yeah, for sure.
1: Do we want to have some final words on the on the shamalama ding dong uh, and then we can kind of wrap it up?
0: uh for sure i was just gonna pull it up uh i have a checklist um Ooh. that i'd like to share
2: yeah that's right i um, was hoping you'd do this yes
0: so i made this when i saw old um for the first time uh he's got shaman's got tropes like every director um his tropes i find are greater in volume and uh let's say quirkiness
2: mm-hmm. and boisterous um,
0: yeah <laughs> but uh so here is the official checklist for anybody wanting to see some m night movies we're gonna put
1: we're gonna put them on the on the screen as they as the as sam announces them so you'll have a list and we'll put them down in the description below
0: okay so twists aplenty of course uh an extended cameo by m night himself uh that's given more screen time than some supporting characters uh Stilted dialogue delivery, bad child acting, that's a big one, Uh, good suspense and tone, it's consistent throughout, Uh, really strange framing of shots that sometimes breaks like common rules of cinematography, Uh, at least one unintentionally hilarious written character, Uh, characters saying every single trait about themselves in a single dialogue block, the last act will completely fall apart and be over-explained. Uh, lots of accents in most of his movies. Not knock at the cabin, but well, uh, I
1: mean Rupert uh, Grant doing the the b- country bumpkin. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. I forgot about that. Okay, so accents. Uh, a vaguely culturally insensitive character. Again, didn't have that in this one.
1: Not really. He no had
0: mid-sized sedan and old. <laughs> Um, a lot of baffling choices that would tank any other film. Red herrings. Characters reacting to life-altering events with disinterest or a robotic line. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a go broke attitude permeating throughout the movie as if this is the last movie he's ever going to make. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, it's going to be shot or set in Philadelphia. <laughs> Which... This yes, I don't actually. think
1: was this one in Philadelphia because
0: it's in Pennsylvania.
1: OK, yeah, because uh, one of them had the shirt that just said Philadelphia. And when we were watching it, I elbowed Liam and I was like, Philadelphia. <laughs>
2: I think the only movies he's made that are set in Philadelphia are um, The Last Airbender after Earth, and uh, old.
1: Well, no, just signs. Just signs. Yeah, it it's in Pennsylvania. Is it Pennsylvania? OK, I wasn't yeah. too sure. Yeah, what a what a guy. <laughs> a, I think this should be something that's on his Wikipedia page. Is your your checklist of what makes an M night movie? I think this one definitely didn't have every single one of um, the things you listed, but uh, we'll check off in in just at the end here which ones it did have. Just in our uh, like on screen, we'll just put a ding 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 ding, um, or at least what I my opinion is on them based off of when I'm editing it. Anyway, I'm over-explaining it like a Shyamalan movie. Look at that.
2: <laughs> I got to give a twist. He got to over-explain.
1: Full circle. Sam, you got any robotic dialogue?
2: <laughs> that was an
0: excellent observation.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, the knock at A uh, uh, knock. Not even a knock, uh, knock. It's just knock at the cabin um i enjoyed it i gave it a three and a half on letterboxd i know liam i think gave it the same sam i saw I originally yours it was a was,
2: four i was originally at a three but i popped it up bopped it up to a three and a half because i was like yeah i liked that movie quite a bit yeah
1: so i'm curious where the half star difference is between us and you sam but uh like i don't know if it's just admiration or or what but yeah i mean i might change my tune and bump it up but who knows but
0: I just had a big grin on my face the whole time.
2: Uh I, I know you are also like uh you're also a bit of a sucker for melodrama as you've told me in the past. Mm.
0: I am. Uh I'm also a sucker for a 70s style opening credits, so that was like an instant plus half star from the start.
1: You know, mm. that's funny cuz I hated the font. I loved, I really? loved the the intro. I always love when you throw everyone's name at the beginning, so you don't have to fuck around with the credits at the end, and it and it forces people to appreciate how many people actually worked on a movie. Uh, but even if it's only not the entire cast, but or sorry, a cr- crew. But anyway, yeah, the font I just found it too condensed and like really hard to read. It might have just been where I was sitting and whatnot, um, or the three beers I had before I watched the movie. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just found that, that the font was super condensed and really hard to read, and almost too big on screen. But I'm I'm picky. I don't know. I, I like I like a simple sans serif font. Just keep well, it so, simple.
2: So Sam, did you notice the uh, directed? Uh, what is it? Uh, M uh, sorry, an M night by uh, M by night Shyamalan film as opposed to a film says, by M night Shyamalan. It says
1: a film, a film M by night Shyamalan this is how it how it like. I didn't shapes that. itself. Well, should it it should just say a film by M Night Shyamalan, but the way that he put the where he put the by in the middle of it, so it just says a film M by Night Shyamalan.
0: You know what? I do remember now. Yes. <laughs> and I was okay.
1: laughing every single time I saw one of those weird things. I was like, "Why? <laughs> just put it put it right." <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Add that to the checklist. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> odd odd credits. So, that was Knock at the Cabin. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Thundercast special presentation, Knock at the Cabin, which we did another special presentation of, uh, Knives Out Glass Onion, or sorry, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which is also on our YouTube channel, so feel free to go watch that one as well. I think whenever we go see, like, uh, I wouldn't call it a tentpole movie, but whenever we go see one of these uh, movies with a big group of people, you're probably going to see one of these videos. So, anyway, uh, if you did like what you saw, be sure to follow us on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, we are Thunder Lizard Collective. On Twitter, we are Thunder Lizard OG. We do have a Patreon account. You can go to patreon.com slash thunderlizard. And I would like to thank our patrons, Kate, Tanya, Manos, Owen, and Scott. Thank you so much for everything that you do for us and all the help. Uh, If you like what you heard, be sure to give us five stars, thumbs up, whatever it is in your favorite podcatcher. Tell a friend and share us on those social medias that we listed before. This has been a Thundercast special presentation. Uh, My name is Christian.
2: And I'm Liam. I'm Sam. And thanks for joining us, man. Of course. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next time. Take care.